someone said Wolfpack Hustle should race that jet. And I saw that and it instantly captured my attention of, yes, let us race this plane from Mm -hmm. Burbank to Long Beach. If I come up to a stop sign and I see there's a car there already, I let the car through. And if there's no one there, I slow down, I look both ways, and then I start pedaling again. So this bill would just legalize that. Hi, I'm Jen Guitart from the California Bicycle Coalition, and this is the Bike Talk CalBike Minute. CalBike advocates for better biking at the state level in California. Here's our latest. It's been a good time for biking in California, so we can start with some exciting news. I'm happy to report that the Freedom to Walk Act, AB 1238, sponsored by Assemblymember Phil Ting, made it through the California Senate. The Freedom to Walk Act will reform California's jaywalking laws to make mid-block crossing legal. CalBike supporters and bike advocates around the state sent hundreds of emails to their senators. You made a big difference. Thank you. Now, CalBike is working to secure Governor Newsom's support for the Freedom to Walk. If the governor signs the Freedom to Walk Act, AB 1238, it will represent important progress for people who bike and walk in California. More good news. California's legislative session has ended with several big accomplishments for active transportation. CalBike's signature e-bike affordability program is fully funded and in development. And the two other bills we sponsored this year have passed the Assembly and the Senate, placing a spotlight on the need to decriminalize the bicycle safety stop and jaywalking. We don't know if Governor Newsom will sign these outstanding bills. We hope he does. But it's important to take a moment to appreciate 2021's forward momentum for people who bike and walk in California. This could be the year that it becomes legal for people on bikes to treat stop signs as yields in California. And we could legalize safe street crossings and put an end to jaywalking as a pretext for police to target black and brown Californians. That would be amazing. In addition to the three measures that CalBike sponsored or co-sponsored, there were several other bills we supported and one we opposed. Several of these excellent bills are headed to the governor's desk, including AB 1147, which clears the way for bicycle highways and other climate-saving transportation measures. AB 43, which gives communities better tools for lowering speed limits. AB 773, which would give us more slow streets. And SB 69, which moves us closer to a bike trail from Sonoma to Humboldt. CalBike opposed a bill that would have created unprecedented insurance requirements for bike share and would have put public and private bike share systems out of business. AB 371 didn't move forward, but it may come back next year. We'll keep working with the bill's author so this measure doesn't kill bike share in California. Finally, there were a few terrific bills that didn't make it through the legislature. For the complete rundown, check out our blog at calbike.org and subscribe to our bi-monthly newsletter to get the latest California bike news in your inbox. CalBike is making extraordinary progress for biking in California, but we can't do it alone. If you'd like to get involved, there are several ways to plug in right now. First, take action and email or tweet at Governor Newsom using the handy action form on our website, calbike.org. That's C-A-L-B-I-K-E dot O-R-G. Ask him to sign the Bicycle Safety Stop Bill and the Freedom to Walk Act. It just takes a minute to send an email or tweet. Next, join Calbike on October 12th for a free advanced session of the California Bicycle Summit. We'll hear from the authors of Cycling for Sustainable Cities. It promises to be an inspiring virtual symposium. Finally, 
Get out and ride to raise money for CalBike on the California Dream Ride Challenge, starting October 14th. Learn more at calbike.org. You can find the details about these activities and more at calbike.org. That's C-A-L-B-I-K-E dot O-R-G. See you in the bike lane. So, Don, you are kind of like the bike version of Bad, Bad Leroy Brown because you raced an airplane on your bicycle. And you have a sponsor, right? I do have a sponsor. That's Thomas Forsyth, bike attorney. He's been a supporter of Wolfpack Hustle since 2012. He's been sponsoring our races. We should recognize him. Yeah, give him a shout out. He's really a humble guy. He just bangs away at bike cases and does a great job. He handled my case, hit and run survivor. Not everybody survives. He banged away at the guy that hit me and got me a good settlement for my bike. I was also compensated civilly. I learned so much about why hit and runs are an epidemic in Los Angeles and I'm sure beyond the Los Angeles. It's the driving culture in the United States, but definitely Los Angeles is the hit and run capital of the world. So it keeps Thomas in business. Yeah, uh, right. That's the sad part is that there are great guys out there know, who are doing this work. Yeah, like Thomas people, but, Forsyth, yeah. Josh Cohen, others, they do the work. And a lot of times it takes a long time. It takes a year of process before you could start to get money. Thomas Forsyth is great because he'll just get you a check for your bike like right away. And you go get that thing appraised by a bike shop and he will hook it up. That's the one thing so, that I... I liked about the way he handled my case. We could get into the legend of how you raced the Jeff Blue plane. We won. And then we're going to talk to Warren J. Wells, who's the policy and planning director of the Marin County Bicycle Coalition on some of those bills that we talked about. Okay, cool. Bike versus jet. That was back in, shit, when was that? 2010, I want to say. Been so long. Metro was spending like a billion or a billion and a half dollars to add a lane to the 405 freeway for a couple miles or something ridiculous. So they had to shut down the freeway because there's a bridge that they had to literally tear the legs out from under to widen the stance of the bridge so they could jam in yet another lane on the 405. And they spent a billion dollars to do it rather than a billion dollars, say, putting in the Xanize to Westwood train, you know, rather than doing that, they put in a lane on the 405 and that thing is jammed up right now. So that's why it was so ridiculous because everybody recognized it was a stupid waste of money to widen the 405 yet again because of induced demand. We all know about induced demand. You build it, they will come. That means they put in a lane, it gets filled up really quick. So it was a stupid waste of money. JetBlue saw a PR opportunity in the closing of the 405. So they tongue-in-cheek created a flight that would go from Burbank to Long Beach. They tongue-in-cheek created a flight? Yeah, there's no Burbank to Long Beach flight because it's a ridiculously short flight. They would never do that as part of a commercial route. But they did it just for fun to kind of capitalize on all of the publicity that Metro was generating for the closure of the 405. You know, it was going to be the traffic holocaust or something. What they call it? Carmageddon? Carmageddon, yeah. (laughs) They should have called it. What year was this again? I think it was 2011. So they created all this publicity. They were putting all these messages out. It was an insane amount of publicity for months beforehand. 
And JetBlue found a way to capitalize on that by creating this flight that was going to take you from Burbank to Long Beach, and they would take a detour and fly over the 405 freeway and show you the 405 closed, which that never happened. So who was on that flight? Jeff Bezos or somebody? Well, I guess it was some kind of lottery to get on the flight. I don't think they were... I think it was like $4.05 flights or something like that. And they had memorabilia that they were handing out to the passengers. It was just like a big publicity stunt. It was masterful. They did a great job of hijacking Carmageddon. However, this guy by the name of Tom Vanderbilt, who studies traffic over on the East Coast, he's a big traffic guy up there. And very much on the same page as everybody here in terms of biking, walking, and so forth. So he's an advocate over there. And I think it was him that said, I would be cool if some bike riders race that jet. And someone else, I think it was Joe Anthony, another bike advocate here, said Wolfpack Hustle should race that jet. And I woke up in the morning checking my Twitter as usual. And I saw that and it instantly captured my attention of, yes, let us race this plane from Mm -hmm. Burbank to Long Beach. How amazing would that be? And I didn't expect that we would win. It would just be fun because we do Wolfpack from Silver Lake to Long Beach and back all the time. And so the wheels started spinning. I started tweeting. There was other people tweeting. It became this thing. We're talking Thursday and the race was Saturday. The Carmageddon flight was that weekend. And Thursday morning is when I saw this tweet. And the bike community just launched into this frenzy about like, yeah, how are we going to do this? And I'm sitting there like putting a team together of our best riders Joe Anthony is working with Ezra Horn, who tweeted out that he was a passenger on the flight. And we were putting together the whole logistics of where is this race going to start? And it was getting momentum. It was in every media outlet across the world. We were on Chinese media, Korean, Australian, the BBC. I was interviewed on the BBC twice, two different shows, German media. This thing was going on fire, including all the local media. Like my phone was starting to get blown up. Do you have any clips of all this, the media? Yeah, I do have the uh, BBC archived. I think I have the Korean interview archived. Ezra did a bunch of filming, Ezra Horn. And Joe Anthony managed to talk his way onto the flight, which was genius. JetBlue gave him a ticket to get on this flight with Ezra. So then when I noticed that there was all this going on, I started to realize like, oh shit, okay. Normally Wolfpack is a little bit loose when it comes to traffic laws. And I didn't want it to become a tragedy where like something happens, God forbid, someone has nothing to do with this race, ends up getting run over by a bike rider or a car swerving out of the way. So I had to rethink how this race was going to go down. And um, the solution that we came up with was to start the race at Ezra's house. He was the passenger that we were going to follow on the flight side. And we were going to start it at his house rather than at the airport so that it gave a little bit more time for the team to be competitive because we started the team at Ezra's house as well. And then the destination was the lighthouse across from the Queen Mary, which also meant that once the flight was done, you have to take a taxi to the destination. So this was a realistic comparison of modes, bicycle versus jet from door to door and see who could win. 
That gave us a little bit more time to race and not be running lights and doing stupid stuff. Because at the end of the day, the LA River bike path was probably 70% of the route. So they had free and clear the ability to just blast down that bike path with no lights. And it's like a freeway for bikes and get to the lighthouse because the bike path actually ends by the lighthouse. So realizing that this is not a legit race so much as more of a publicity stunt, this was going to make it more fair. And we were being good about it. We weren't going to run lights. And guys had a real tough time with that. You know, John Budenoff was on the team. And that guy, you know, you tell him one thing, goes in one ear, out the other. But the other four on the team, John Gabriel, Stephen Adrianian, Evan Stade, Aram Delalian, they understood and knew not to run the lights. And they did it. They timed the lights and were good about it. Got to the path and blasted and we got it all on video i always like to videotape our races and i got richie trimble involved i got two wheels good who's a rider on wolfpack i got um dustin to bring his scooter and we were chasing the team on the freeway and on the bike path with the scooters and the motos and we had cams and the media showed up there was like four or five news outlets that had their news vans at ezra's apartment in burbank and uh we're following this race and it was a fantastic media stunt kudos to JetBlue for hijacking the narrative on that and then kudos to us the bike community for hijacking the narrative on both JetBlue and metro and um the Bikes won. And there was even a roller skater that jumped in and Gary Cavanaugh decided to make it a transit trip. Yeah. So there was a person racing on transit and there was Jenny Phoebe raced on her inline skates. I was about to say rollerblades, but rollerbladers hate when you say that, but they were inline skates. I didn't even know that she was racing. I'm on the bike path with a film camera getting some shots and this roller skater, she's tall and she was coming at me so fast and i was like whoa i remember having a whoa moment where i had to jump out of the way because i was like holy shit and she blasted past me and then i realized later oh that was jenny phoebe she was actually racing that was pretty cool you were on your bike and she blasted past you i was on foot because we were in my car trying to set up shots along the way to capture footage of the team there was multiple camera units and i have a camera and um Richard, two wheels good, um, had a camera. So me and him were driving and we were just, our mission was to get ahead of the riders and get that on film. We did. We got a whole bunch of footage. No one ever made a film out of it. Ezra made a film out of the footage he had, which was his experience on the plane. But we always meant to combine his footage with the footage that Richie and myself and Richard got and the cam footage from the bike. But we just never got around to it. There's other stuff happening and just never got to it. Well, now you got a bike talk interview about it, so. I know, we should put that film together and do a documentary on it because it was one of the craziest things I've participated in, in terms of publicity stunts. There was so much media. I mean, there was a point where I took my phone and I threw it because I couldn't handle how many phone calls I was getting. (laughs) It was ridiculous how many phone calls I was getting. And I was doing interviews on KFI, KCBS, KABC, like all the local stations. It was insane. And I was sitting there trying to find uniforms. We didn't have any uh, kit or anything at the time to make Wolfpack Hustle look like a legit team. We were just a bunch of ragtag hipsters that blast around the city at night where we didn't have an official kit. I drove to like, I don't even know where the hell I was. I was way out in Santa Ana trying to find 
all black jerseys that these guys could wear that I could print Wolfpack Hustle on it. I was trying to do that. I was lining up all these interviews. I was doing the marketing for the thing and just keeping in touch with Joe, who was working his ass off on the whole thing. It just came together. It was really cool. Cool. Maybe there'll be a film about that someday. I hope. And I hope the hard drive with all the footage is still good. That is maybe something that should happen more often. Publicity stunts. Advocates should be conscious about. There are some organizations that just create media events. If there's nothing happening, they'll put a giant inflatable blow-up or whatever yeah we got Lindsay. she's gonna share her interview with warren j wells he's the policy and planning director of the marin county bicycle coalition welcome warren wells to bike talk thank you happy to be here warren is the policy and planning director for the marin county bicycle coalition and he's also a local organizer coach and a mediator working in restorative justice as well as a car-free commuter giving up his keys six years ago. Thank you for coming on the show. More than happy to be here, Lindsay. So we want to ask you about four laws that are sitting on Gavin Newsom's desk. We're waiting for him to sign them. Can you start by telling us about AB 43, the speed limit law? Okay, so we're diving into the wonkiest one first. (laughs) Okay, I'm not sure how familiar your listeners are with the 85th percentile rule. I'll start at the base in case this is anybody's first show. Okay, so I've heard a public works director say that California sets its speed limits in a rather democratic fashion. Speed limits are not set prescriptively, they're set descriptively. So they're not chosen by the government, they're chosen by the people who drive. So to set a speed limit, What's called a speed survey is done. So an engineer goes out there with a radar gun and looks at 100 cars and line them up in the speed. So someone's going 20, someone else is going 40, everyone else is going in between. And the speed that the 85th fastest car is going, that's the speed limit. Wow. So the 15 like riskiest drivers, they're determining what the speed limit is on our streets. And so it doesn't take a genius to see that this might have some bad consequences. Famously in Los Angeles, During the recession, there was a big drop-off in speed enforcement. And so people naturally started driving faster because you keep driving faster and no one keeps taking you driving faster and faster. And so when they went back and did a bunch of speed surveys in the late 20-teens, they found that they had to raise the speed limits on 100 miles of city streets, a lot of them in the valley, because people were driving faster than they were 10 years ago. And we know, obviously, that the biggest contributing factor in safety for crashes is the speed at which the vehicle is traveling. So faster cars means more people dying. Okay, so that's the basis. That's what's called the 85th percentile that speeds are set by how fast the 85th fastest driver out of 100 is going. Assemblymember Laura Friedman of LA County has been working on fixing this law for some time. I think she had a bill maybe last session that would have repealed it, and then it kind of got watered down and turned into a study. It's back now as AB 43. Again, it's also been watered down a little bit. It's still super important. I believe in incrementalism. I don't think the purpose should be the enemy of the good. So under current law, jurisdictions are allowed to take the speed survey and they round it to the nearest five, and they can round it down in certain circumstances to the nearest five. So if the 85th percentile is 43 miles an hour, they could round it down to 40 under certain circumstances. What's so frustrating about this is that, first of all, I think we all love to speed at some time in your life. And it's not until you either get in an accident or you know too much about it. And then you start to like realize it's really dangerous and it's so deceptively dangerous. I think that's what's so important for people to understand is that it starts to kill people at an exponential rate. It isn't just like, oh, five more miles an hour, you're a few more percentage points. Exponentially, it becomes deadlier and deadlier. And I think if you have people in your life who've died this way, it shouldn't be democratic like this. 
Yeah, and it's funny. I've actually gotten to use the phrase local control when arguing for this, which is one that I often don't find the right side of things. We should give cities local control for setting their own speed limits. They know what's safe. They know what's unsafe. Let them lower the speed limits if there's a corridor that's been particularly dangerous, is a school or an elderly home near there, or if it's or if it's a safety priority corridor, they can bring down that speed limit. So it's a good bill. Again, it's incremental. It isn't getting rid of the 85th percentile entirely, but it would stop a lot of cities from having to bump up their speed limits. We've had a bunch of that happen in Marin the last few years and would let some cities bring down those speed limits just a little bit. And again, like you pointed out, that five miles per hour, that 10 miles per hour, that really could be the difference between a minor injury and a serious injury or a serious injury and someone dying. And what would you like to see? What would be the dream version of this bill? I think a full repeal of 85th percentile is entirely in order. And I think it's forthcoming. I think we're moving in the right direction. I think Assemblymember Friedman has done good work here. I think people will see that this does not cause traffic jams because the speed limit is five miles per hour lower. I love to give people the benefit of the doubt. I actually don't know what the worry is. I honestly think people think it's fun to speed and I don't yeah. think they understand. I think it's literally an education campaign. As your kids go through life and these car accidents start to happen, it really changes your perspective. And I think that once you understand that 20 miles an hour, a lot of people are going to survive. And at 40 miles an hour, 90% of people are going to die. And then high-speed chase, what happens? It's horrifying. So we will hope and root for Laura Friedman because she is a hero. Yeah, definitely. All right. So let's talk about AB 112, the Idaho stop. Great. So the Idaho stop... Technically, my understanding is that that encompasses both treating stop signs as yields and being allowed to treat red traffic signals as a stop sign. This bill, AB 122, only does the first one of those two. Gotcha. There are stop signs everywhere, especially in neighborhoods where a lot of us ride to avoid biking on some scary arterial that may or may not have a bike lane. Stop signs are meant for cars. They're car infrastructure. They're built to designate the right of way and to say who gets to go first. Because when you're driving a 4,000 pound vehicle coated in glass and steel, it's kind of hard to read body cues. And so we need these stop signs to designate that. Everyone stop. Okay, now you go. If you're walking through like an intersection in the airport, you don't need a stop sign. People just navigate that interaction. And it turns out that riding bikes is a lot more like walking than it is driving a car. So stop signs are car infrastructure. And yet, under current law, people riding bicycles are legally required to act as though they're driving a car. You're supposed to come to a stop, let anybody who had the right-of-way go, and then go ahead. That's really, really inconvenient if you're riding a bike, especially if it's not an e-bike. And everyone knows this. Like, no one treats stop signs this way. Everyone rolls through them, and most people do safely. If I come up to a stop sign and I see there's a car there already, I let the car through. And if there's no one there, I slow down, I look both ways, and then I start pedaling again. I'm admitting to breaking the law here on Bike Talk. I hope I don't get in trouble. <laughs> so this bill would just legalize that. It does not let bicyclists blow through stop signs. They still have to yield to pedestrians, and they still have to yield to anybody else who arrived at the intersection before they did. It just relieves them of the de jure duty of coming to a complete stop, looking both ways, and continuing. That is an excellent word, and you need to say it again, de jure, and what is it? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's a lad. I was a philosophy major, so this is this kind of stuff you get with me. It means the opposite of de facto. Like, I would say running stop signs is de facto legal in most places. Like, you don't get tickets in most places. Speeding is de facto legal in most places, right. <laughs> even, though it's de, even though it's de jure illegal. And one of the reasons to enact this bill and repeal the requirement of the bicyclist stop at every stop sign is that frequently, whenever a police department decides they have some extra money from a traffic safety grant, they go out and ticket a bunch of bicyclists. This happened in my city of Berkeley two years ago near UC Berkeley campus, 50,000 students, and they were on Milvia Avenue, which if you've ever been in Berkeley, it's at the main bicycle boulevard, and there was just some motorcycle cop ticketing people 
rolling through stop signs at like six miles an hour. Like I saw them ticket some professor on a Brompton. It's like, what public menace is this person causing? So Uh. yeah, it was frustrating. And they won't be able to do that after this. It happens in Marin too. There are a couple of cities that are particularly bad about it. And again, like I'm not out here to apologize for any bicyclists who are like going through a crosswalk and they're pedestrians. I don't support that. You shouldn't do that. I will guide anyone for doing that. (laughs) But what we shouldn't be doing is ticketing bicyclists for bicycling in a safe manner and rolling through stop signs slowly. And so this law has passed in other states, again, famously Idaho in the 70s, but in a number of other states, Delaware, Washington State. um, That's why it's called the Idaho stop. Okay. Yeah, yeah. First pass in Idaho. Actually, I learned on Twitter recently that they did just start with a stop sign portion of it. And then some years later, added allowing bicyclists to treat a red light as a stop sign. Oh, interesting. So hopefully we'll get there sometime. Okay, so slow streets, AB773. Yeah. yeah, so in the time machine back to what feels like a decade ago in April of 2020, this beginning of COVID, <laughs> Governor Newsom passed an emergency order was what allowed cities to close certain streets to through traffic to allow people to have outdoor space for recreation. There were a lot of like weird things which now seem strange in retrospect, but like parks were closed and so people needed a place to go outside. I lived in Oakland at the time. Oakland had an incredible rollout of the Slow Streets program. They basically took the bike boulevards from the recently passed at the time Oakland bike plan and then just started rolling through those and putting out no through traffic signs. I lived a block off of one on Shafter Ave near Rockridge Bart. The street was transformed overnight. What had been before, like a, not a fast street, but when I rode fairly frequently, it was a little bit uphill, a class three, just a Shero route. You get cars passing you aggressively all the time. I rode it every day. And then kind of overnight, these signs had no through traffic. And there's arterials literally like three blocks in either direction. Like people can still get where they're going. The street was transformed into like all day block party. I mean, there wasn't <laughs> a ton of people out there, but moms and kids with their scooters, like dads teaching their daughters how to skateboard. Uh, people taking up half the street, having a little like grill and their lawn chairs out there and people chalking. I have a ton of pictures about this. Like people like doing chalk murals. Oh, put it up on Twitter. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, I will. Yes, <laughs> it was great. And the neighborhood was fine. And so This is something that I think that different cities have done this to different levels of success. Given COVID, I haven't spent a lot of time at other places. I know New York has done some, San Francisco certainly. I don't know how much LA has done. Berkeley has done some of this. So this bill, AB773, would allow cities to establish street closures. Currently, cities can do street closures for a marathon or a block party or a whole bunch of other things. It would amend that section of the vehicle code to allow slow street closures outside of the COVID emergency. I mean, why wouldn't he sign this? I mean, he's going to sign Oh, I hope he will. I haven't been working in California politics long enough to like be able to read the tea leaves on this. So I'm not going to do any prognostications here, but it's a great bill. It's super low hanging fruit. Every street shouldn't be for cars all the time. There are plenty of streets that we should be letting kids go out and play in. I love what you said, low hanging fruit, because there was a time when politicians ran on quality of life, right? That was all they talked about. And like, what could be a better quality of life than being able to bike around a city? Yeah, that was a great quote from Anne Hidalgo. But she said to something like, a good city is one where you can let go of your kid's hand. Uh, of course. Like, that's, I don't have kids. That's deeply moving to me. It's beautiful because I had one of those kids who darted everywhere. And so Mm -hmm. you get this little harness, but people would call it a leash. (laughs) A lot of toddlers, I was pregnant. I couldn't lunge for her and the cars are going by 70 miles an hour. What am I supposed to do? And like, I lived the opposite of that. Yeah. You had to hold on to their hand at all times. And that's just why we are okay. Having a city where our kids are just constantly under threat. And the only place you can have them safe is indoors in your backyard or in a big enough park that you can catch up to them before they get to the street (laughs) (laughs) or a mall, I guess. Exactly. 
Right. In LA, we all go to the Grove because it's yeah. like, it's not because we need a ton of makeup and like we need another pair of sunglasses. It's because there are no cars. Yeah. And you can just wander around and your kids are safe. Yeah. I think we totally agree on this. All right. So the last law that we are waiting on is the jaywalking reform, AB 1238. Yeah. So as I understand, this is the one that is most under a threat of veto. The passage was the closest. This bill would repeal jaywalking laws. So jaywalking laws have like a really like unpleasant history. It used to be the case before the advent of the car that you could walk anywhere. You could walk across the street and that was not illegal. Peter Norton in his book, Fighting Traffic, talks about this. I think this is starting in like the teens into the early 20s. Actually, the car companies themselves started lobbying for passing what they call jaywalking laws. The word jaywalking, it's kind of like an old term. A J means someone from the country. It's like you're from the country and you don't know how to walk in the city because you have to watch out for cars. Hick walking would be like a modern translation of the term today. So don't be a J, don't get hit by a car. So in the interest of facilitating vehicle throughput, we made it illegal to cross the street unless there's like a police officer or a street sign, a traffic light telling you you can cross. Again, that sounds good in concept, but then you have reality. Many parts of America, many parts of California have places where there is a half mile between marked crossings, maybe even a quarter mile, still a long way. If it's a quarter mile and you're right in the middle, you have to walk half a mile out of your direction to get across the street, which may be 80 feet across from you. And you could look in either direction, see no cars coming and get across. But if a police officer sees you, they can ticket you. And the minimum jaywalking fine in California is like $220, which is a lot of money for the people who aren't driving. And so we also know that jaywalking laws are enforced disproportionately on black and brown Californians. I think there was some study that said that in San Diego, black residents were four and a half times as likely to receive a jaywalking citation than their white neighbors. That's a problem. <laughs> and it's also just used as a protectual stop, as many traffic laws are, to do a search on someone who you, as a police officer, suspect of committing other crimes. So you think it's in danger of not getting signed? I just heard that. That's like the word on the street. Again, I don't work in Sacramento. If you talk to Calbike or California Walks, you'd have a better sense of that. I am just hearing from them. So this law, importantly, just what this would do, it allows you to cross anywhere as long as it's not hazardous to do. It, it's just saying that people should be given the judgment to cross. And, and if they cross in an unsafe fashion, you run out of traffic, you can get cited for jaywalking. Uh -huh. I don't know what the citation is at that point, but you still have the duty of care in crossing mm -hmm. the street. Mm-hmm. Hope for that. So for the next legislative session, what are you guys hoping for? Well, so every legislative session, there's a bunch of stuff that gets proposed in the beginning. You're like, oh my gosh, we're going to be a utopia <laughs> by the end. And then one by one, Portantino or Lorena Gonzalez holds something in appropriations. This is kind of like wonkery. Some bill that you were excited about sort of gets killed in a way that makes no sense and is right. totally inscrutable from the outside. Uh, so I would say the biggest bill that we were supporting this past year was David Chu's bill, AB 550 which was the automated speed camera law that started big. It started being like a statewide pilot. It happens in other cities. Like New York famously has hundreds of speed cameras. They're all located around school zones. So if you're driving through fast to a school zone, you get a ticket and they work. 95% of people who receive a speeding ticket in New York don't get a second one because wow. they're like, well, they don't even have to be that much. What changes behavior is people realizing that if you think there's a high likelihood of being caught, as opposed to a low likelihood of being caught and a large punishment, that is so interesting. And I actually think it'd be better to just do $10. I 100% agree. No, no. Five I... bucks every mile over. You go 21, you get $5 because it's annoying. And that's what you yeah. want. Yeah. And, and actually this bill, I have to go look at it. So it died maybe in <laughs> June or something. Mysterious reason. It just got held in committee. 
I thought the maximum fine was like 80 bucks. It was relatively cheap in like the realm of things. There were diversionary programs so you wouldn't even have to pay anything. I agree with that. Yeah, the author worked equity, social justice groups, to my mind, like really bent over backwards to make sure that this bill got out ahead of criticisms. There were a lot of privacy protections. There was no facial recognition. It was ticketing the owner of the car and not the person, all sorts of stuff. It eventually got watered down to a five or six city pilot. So it was as like tinker on the edges as you could get. And even then it was killed. So what we're talking about with AB43, we know that speed kills. And when you slow people down, driving is less dangerous. And also... We know that having police officers, armed officers out there, ticketing people, pulling people over, stopping people for different reasons, right. no, that's, that's not great yeah. either. And like a speed camera doesn't have a gun <laughs> and a speed right. camera can't harass you or abuse you. It's horrible for everyone to get pulled over and it's really, it's terrible. So it also is a lot of money for cities. I mean, let's be yeah. honest. Yeah. Cities need money to do great things for their citizens. And this bill, importantly, even earmarked the money toward funding street improvements. So it wasn't like going into the general fund. It wasn't going into the police department budget, which is the case in my hometown of Baltimore. The money was earmarked for street improvements. So the cameras wouldn't even be necessary because if the streets were designed in a way that you couldn't speed, you wouldn't even need a speed camera because no one would be speeding. Can I tell you how I think they should do it? I think that they should ticket people. And I think that they should give the money. I mean, I actually think it should go to communities who need it. But I think one way to do it is to actually lower the sales tax, which is a highly regressive tax. And I Mm -hmm. say this because it's called a tax shift. And Mm -hmm. it's instead of taxing things that people need, right? (laughs) Tax things that tax the things you don't want. And yeah, tax bads. And then people can't say, oh, you're raising my taxes. You take that out of the equation because we're really just trying to make people safe. And the slap on the wrist is to understand that what you're doing is incredibly unsafe and to stop you from doing it. Yeah. So Sounds we good. Agree. <laughs> Let's write that up. Okay. What else? What are the other big during the session? Yeah, it's interesting. The other big loss I would say in this legislative session was not a bike bill, but because housing is transportation and transportation is housing, I'm always focused on this sort of stuff. So AB 1401, another bill by Assemblymember Laura Friedman, I think it would have removed off-street parking minimums for new housing built near transit. I went to UCLA. My advisor there was Don Shoup. I'm a big fan of parking. So, <laughs> yeah. And yet, like today in Los Angeles, you see new buildings going up next to like North Hollywood Station that have six stories of podium yeah. parking. It's like, what are we doing? So oh. it's crazy that we're still doing that today. This was a good bill. Again, I think that one got made into a two-year bill, but don't quote me on that one. Right, well, so I'm, it may I'm be back gonna, next year. We're going to knock on wood for all of these. Warren, it was so great to have you on Bike Talk. Yeah, my pleasure. Please come back. Yeah, anytime. That was a great interview. We learned a lot. Let's take it out from here, Nick. Another great Bike Talk episode in the book. listening to this episode of Bike Talk. If you want to hear more, go to kpfk.org, navigate to programs, and choose Bike Talk. On the Bike Talk page, click on the archives link to play or download shows posted in the last four months. Go to biketalk.com and copy or click on the RSS link to subscribe. Our Twitter handle is Bike Talk PFK. On Facebook, we are Bike Talk. 
You can become friends and join our group.